Welcome, everybody, to the No Fouls podcast, and we are back for our second episode. This week's guest was arguably one of the best Division Four players ever in the state of Vermont. Went to four finals with Craftsbury Academy, won a championship, went on, played in college, spent 20 years as a coach at Mount Mansfield, won three titles. Welcome to No Fouls, Jeff Davis. Thank you. Thanks for allowing me to come on today. No, thank you for joining us. Tell me a little bit, was it always basketball for you as a kid? Uh, not really. I mean, um, as a young kid, I knew right away I did love the sport. Uh, I had a cousin that was about five years older than me, Steve Davis, and he was sort of, I didn't have a brother. Uh, I have two sisters. So he was kind of my older brother type thing and would beat up on me, uh, in the driveway, kind of that typical, um, you know, try to learn how to compete, um, but I also enjoyed other sports, you know, coming from a small school, uh, you really don't have the luxury of, of only playing one sport. Uh, if all the players, uh, if they didn't play all the sports, they wouldn't happen. So uh, I did enjoy other sports, but I did know that basketball was definitely my first passion. You bring it up and I find it interesting to ask you this as someone you said played multiple sports. Mm-hmm. I know you have a very accomplished son playing multiple sports at Colchester. How do you feel about, you know, the kids that hyper-focus on one sport going up? Do they lose out on anything by not playing other sports? Well, I mean, I think it'd be very difficult for anybody to speak for anybody else. Uh, Everybody has their own decisions. Uh, I personally think uh, you are definitely losing an opportunity to be a little bit more well-rounded. Uh, if you specialize too early, uh, I also feel you you run the risk of of uh, creating uh, a sport that becomes less of a a passion and more of a job. Uh, and especially at a young age, that can be that can be pretty taxing. I do support when I played when I um, coached at Mount Mansfield. I did support students playing multiple sports. Um, I always said um, that you know, play as many sports as you can. uh, But you do need to determine what your primary sport is going to be when it comes to the time you you give to it in the off season. Uh, My son, you you mentioned is his baseball is his passion. Uh, And as much as it is different than mine in terms of me really liking basketball, uh, if it comes to free time in the off season, my son is going to be working on his craft in baseball. Uh, and so that comes with, um, you know, that comes with some consequences to the other sports he plays, obviously. But yeah, I, I support multiple sports, but I also support um, the idea that eventually you need to determine what is your primary sport and what your energy, you know, where you're going to put your energy in the off season. Um, you know, the summer is everybody's off season, right? I mean, nobody, no high school coach can coach their kid during the school year outside of their season. So when you get to summer, these kids are pulled in a lot of different directions. Uh, And I think it's important that they decide what their primary sport is going to be. Well said. Um, So take me back to Craftsbury Academy Mm -hmm. and kind of 
that run you had, a lot of people that'll listen, especially if they got to know you as Mount Mansfield coach, you know, helping mm-hmm. out with Colchester now, maybe has never heard of Craftsbury. And I get that a lot being a Hazen kid. Uh, sure. But that kind of that small town in Division Four. Well, I mean, obviously it was it was a great run. Uh, we were very fortunate uh, in that time era to, even though it was a small school, we we did have uh, a, a relatively high abundance of good athletes. Um, even when I was through middle school and and leading up to high school, you know. Um, the only year we ended up cutting the nets down was my freshman year. Uh, and we had, uh, you know, a lot of uh, sophomores, juniors and seniors on that team. And that kind of just carried over. And it was a pretty neat situation. Uh, you know, the whole cliche of the town closing up when the basketball uh, game was being played up there at the common. Um, so it was very it was it was very intimate, um, you know, small town, small gym, small everything. Um and the run we had, we did, we played it, we played, or the, the players that were in my grade played uh, eight games at the Barry Auditorium. Uh, and that's, that was definitely something we were very proud of. Um, unfortunately, we came up short uh, in three of those state championship games. Um, but just getting there and, and just seeing what it did to the, for the school, for the town, uh, you know, driving through Hardwick. I remember even in, in Hardwick, there would be some banners you know, wishing us luck as we went on to Barry. Uh, and um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's something I'll always remember. And I'm pretty proud of the fact that we did have that success during that time frame. You've been in this game for a long time. We mentioned multiple decades. So you've seen a lot of teams at a lot of different levels. Uh huh. Your sophomore year, fun fact, and a lot of fun facts, courtesy of Aaron Hill. Thank you so much for the notes. Uh, the tallest starting lineup of any team in Vermont your sophomore year. But how good was that Pulteney team your sophomore year? Sandy Sumner. I'll never forget that kid. Um, they were very good. Uh, that was a group of kids who were successful in football as well, if I can remember that. Uh, they had a really nice uh, group of athletes, both my sophomore and junior year. We lost to them in the finals. Um, what I remember most about their group, uh, Coach Capman was their, was their coach, Dave Capman. Um, just their toughness, you know, you could definitely see they were, um, they were just a little bit more prepared physically uh, for that environment uh, than we were. Um, I feel that where they play uh, in terms of playing down south, they had the opportunity to play a lot more, a lot more uh, games against higher division teams. Uh, and I think that definitely better prepared them for when they played at the D4 level. Um, and they, they just, they were very good. I mean, I, I thought they definitely uh, took it to us my sophomore year. Um, we weren't ready for them. Uh, I would say my junior year, we played them very tough, and we actually had a really good game with them. Um, but that was a good team for sure. Um, they 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 were good, and they were also they were a bit of a thorn in our side in multiple sports. They beat us in baseball as well, I believe. Um, so a couple a couple years in a row in the semis. So um, yeah, they had a nice group of athletes down there for sure. Yeah, they had a nice run in Division Three too. They moved up, knocked Hazen yeah. out in. Well, I wish they moved up before we played them. <laughs> Uh, 
Who was the first coach you remember really having an impression on you? Well, um, I can say a couple of different ways here. Uh, my first coach uh, was my dad. Uh, and, and I was lucky enough in second grade that he, he took over the elementary uh, basketball job. Uh, I mean, he wasn't paid, so I don't know if you want to call it a job. but uh, And that afforded me the opportunity to play on that team, even though I was only in second grade. Uh, so clearly he, you know, and, and he would be the one that brought me into the gym um, and do a lot of shooting. I can remember my first time I ever made a basket, I made us go home after because I wanted to tell everybody that I made a basket on a 10 foot hoop. Um, so clearly he definitely, he was a very, very good player in his own right. Uh, graduated in Crassbury in 1964, um, was a very good player. And so he kind of definitely set that table. And then shortly thereafter, I would definitely say Willie Ryan uh, was a a mentor for me, coach, um, really a, a, a tough coach, um, you know, expected a lot out of us, but he gave a lot um, of time and energy to the Crassbury basketball scene. Uh, and I mean, I, I know you want to, you're asking for one, but there's, there's a lot of local volunteers in that town that oh, yeah. really sh- shaped us as a team. Um, I think of Bruce Martin, um, giving up so much of his time and energy to both basketball and baseball for the Crassbury kids. Uh, so it's hard to say just one, but all three of those, those, uh, coaches, my dad in particular to get me started, Willie and Bruce definitely, um, you know, were always around at that age level. You know, it seems like you have that one of those one or two parents that volunteer for everything. Uh, and, and those guys were the ones that were doing that. You can't get good athletes without those volunteers in those early ages that put in no question no question at what point did you want to or decide that you were going to continue playing into college well i mean i think every kid wants to uh you know if you really like the game um i was a bit naive uh based on being a pretty pretty big fish in a pretty small pond uh, as to what the level was like out there. Um, and so I started going to a few college basketball games and I, I, I realized very quickly that, um, that, that was a high, much higher level than, than I'm used to. Um, I think playing, um, playing in the off season with the Vermont AAU group that traveled to, to, uh, North Carolina that summer and kind of seeing that I could at least play, uh, at that level with a lot of kids that were from division one and two uh, sort of gave me a little bit of confidence that, yeah, maybe I can, uh, you know, extend my basketball career um, four more years. Uh, and then I guess just, uh, you know, coaches reaching out, uh, division three coaches reaching out, um, visiting a few colleges. I mean, I think it came kind of uh, a reality that, yes, I do have an opportunity to play um, four more years of this sport at a competitive level. And you decide on Norwich kind of what brought you there and how was your experience? That was an interesting situation because, um, there was a, there was a head coach prior to coach Booth that recruited myself and four other freshmen. His name was Troy Maris, and he was an assistant coach at Michigan during the recruiting of the quote unquote fab five. And his sell to us, which is kind of, it's pretty laughable if you think about it, but um, they, at the time, Norwich was, was, was pretty down. Um, they, he was the head coach there for a year. 
Um, they were one in 24 or something like that. They really had a rough year, my senior year. And the sell that he had to, for me, uh, Paul Pecor, the head coach at Rice, uh, and three other players from out of state is I'm bringing you five freshmen and you have a great opportunity to play right away. Uh, and of course, at a much, 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 much lower level, coined the phrase Fab Five. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, of course, as a, as a senior in high school, you hear that and you're like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. I may have an opportunity to play right away. Um, and there were other colleges that I was interested in. Um, some of it came down to to finances. Some of it came down to, uh, again, uh, my uh, perspective that I'd be able to play right away because I felt like I wanted to do that. And also on the other end of it, uh, I knew I wanted to major in math or science. Uh, and obviously Norwich is, was a pretty well-known math science engineering um, college. And for coming from a small town, um, I wasn't ready to, you know, take off uh, and be a really far distance away from, from my parents and my family. I, I valued the fact that my, my family and, and, and people that I lived around could come watch me play, uh, at, at Norwich, you know, there was, so there's a lot of factors. Um, so that, that kind of was, it was definitely a, a situation where it took up a lot of my, uh, my bandwidth to figure out what I wanted to do. But, um, I was glad I made that decision ultimately, mostly again, because of the major and also um, the, this proximity to my, to Crassbury and my family. And being a part of the Norwich Fab Five. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, again, uh, that's definitely, uh, that was kind of funny that that's what Troy, but it, what, what happened is Troy left. So Troy left in between my uh, senior year of high school and my freshman year of college, he took an a assistant coach position at Detroit Mercy. And so in comes Coach Booth, who obviously doesn't know really any of us. And that was a very interesting situation um, because we didn't really know uh, anything about the the upperclassmen. And I can remember the first few days of open gym at Norwich. And I don't know what Coach Ameris said to those upperclassmen, but they did not like us. <laughs> and they were ready to show that they weren't going anywhere. And and many of them should not have gone anywhere. There had, there was some, there's definitely some talent on that team. Um so Coach Booth came in and, um, you know, it's probably difficult for him to it's coming into a college uh, environment and not recruiting the freshmen that are in there. It's kind of an interesting situation, but um, he, his first year there was my first year. Are you in college when you start getting a notion that you might want to coach yourself? I was in college when I started coaching. I coached the Northfield Middle School soccer team my junior year in college. Uh, and I did that based on a recommendation by coach Booth. Uh, I had changed my major from engineering to mathematics and I had a focus on becoming a teacher slash coach. And, um, so I actually was able to, I did play high, high school soccer. Um, I was no soccer guru by any means, but, um, I was able to call on my old coach, Coach Pierce, to uh, help me uh, think about how to coach soccer. But, yeah, I, that was my first team I ever coached was middle school soccer. I was a junior at college. There's nothing like that stress the first time you coach a practice. I remember oh it because I, I, I first was doing AAU for Aaron. Yep. And I remember going to the gym thinking, how the hell am I going to fill an hour and a half? Right. So you plan for three hours and you uh, – <laughs> do as much of it as you can. Um, 
but yeah, so that was cool. I mean, I, I, I did, I do love soccer. I did love soccer when I was at Crossberry. Um, and, uh, and, and you know what it is, it's, it's, you know, coaching is, is coaching. I mean, obviously this, the X's and O's are different. The sports are different, but the motivation, the accountability, all that stuff, I think it was really, really good. It was kind of like student teaching as a coach, you know? Uh, and, and so I really look at that as a really great opportunity. I also did a lot of coaching at, at basketball camps. You know, we used to go to camps all around new England. Uh, it gave us an opportunity to make a little money, uh, coach, but quite honestly, the reason we went is because at nights we could have good runs against other college level players. And, uh, so, and, and really good college players. And so that was a cool kind of circuit we would do, um, in the summer, and, uh, in, you know, most of those camps, you would have a team for the week and you, you know, you get to know the kids and, and you're definitely coaching them up. So to jump ahead a little bit, you am, end up at Mount Mansfield, but coaching on the girls side, how did that come to fruition? Well, when I, I, I actually took the, I was student teaching at Mount Mansfield. Uh, I actually had to have an extra semester because I changed my major from engineering to math and then I had to get certified to teach. So I got the math degree, but I still needed another semester of student teaching. So I, based on my relationship with Paul Pecor and his family, um, Linda Pecor in, in particular, um, I really was sort of uh, interested in, in the Mount Mansfield School District. And so uh, when I got there, you know, it was one of those classic, oh, you played basketball at Norwich. Do you want to coach? And there was a girls JV position available at that time. And so my first coaching job, you know, as a 22 year old, 21 year old, I guess at that, that time, uh, college student was, um, JV girls. And I coached that team for the year. The head coach of the girls program moved into a coaching position at St. Michael's, uh, the pre the, the following year. And so I actually, my first year as an official teacher became the head coach of the girls program for the year. That's kind of how it happened. Tell me a little bit about kind of that first year. I know a lot of people are who are males who then go to Mm -hmm. coach girls. There's kind of a preconceived notion Mm -hmm. that it's not as serious and, you know, it's not going to be as fun. And I was dead wrong when I started. In doing that, I had mm-hmm. so much fun, just as competitive. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I will be the first one to tell you that I really didn't have a clue what I was doing coaching wise. Uh, and I was actually probably dealing with a little bit of bitterness to the fact that I was done playing for the rest of my life at a competitive level. Um, I had a real hard time early on with kids that didn't really, really, really become engulfed in the sport like I did as a player. And um, I had very little perspective uh, as a first-year coach at, at, at a JV level. Say nothing about boys or girls. It, it didn't really matter which uh, that it was girls or boys. It was just at the JV level. And I, I really uh, – it was hard for me to take a step back and, and realize that, hey, you know, this is about development. This is about um, – you know, setting a table for a varsity level, uh, the following year, uh, for these kids. And, and so it took me a while to really figure that out. And, and I give these, these girls all the credit and I still remember every one of them on my team. I mean, I don't even know how old they are now, but they're, they're in their forties. I coached that team harder than any coach, every team, any team I've ever coached. 
I mean, the expectations were, were, were very rigid and these kids just, they loved it. They absolutely loved it. And, um, they bought in, you know, and, uh, I started to realize that there is a happy medium somewhere and we met it and, uh, we, I had a blast with that group and, uh, they were a fun group to be around and, and they worked hard. They wanted to get better at the sport. Uh, and, um, so, you know, you, you, you think back at those, those, um, early years and, and for me anyway, it's like what I didn't know X's and O's wise and what I didn't know system wise, you know, I made up with a lot of energy and effort and, and I, and showing the, the players that I really cared for them and, and, and building a trust, you know, and I think that was really important that they understood yeah, there's a lot of things that Coach Davis probably doesn't know yet because he's so young, but I know he he cares for us and he wants us to get better. And I think that first year really, it taught me a lot about player relationships and and what how important they are, you know, the, the trust factor is for these kids. Absolutely. But after a year, you switch over to the boys' side. Mm-hmm. But with that, you're taking over for a legendary coach in his own right in Bill Callahan. Yeah. So that was an interesting um, scenario. What happened was there was actually a year in between coach Callahan and myself where coach Feenan took the job. And I actually was offered the boys job. As soon as coach Callahan retired, I was offered the boys job. I felt uh, an obligation to the girls side of things based on the fact that it was so late in the year. It was like September of this of the uh, school year when it was determined that Coach Callahan wasn't going to be coaching. He stepped down, uh, and I was offered the job, uh, and and I just said no. I said I, I don't feel it's it's right. Um, I've already committed through the summer, and now the girls are doing open gyms and things like that. I said I committed to this team. I'm not doing it, uh, and so I didn't. And I coached the girls for a year, the girls varsity for a year. Um, and, uh, coach Feenan was the boys coach. And then in a calendar year, coach Feenan decided not to do it again. And the, uh, the job was offered up again. And at that point I just realized, yeah, okay, this is sort of a sign. I think I'm going to, I'm going to take that opportunity. Uh, and so I switched over to the boys. Uh, I knew coach Callahan because he let me, um, uh, play in the Mount Mansfield summer league when I was in high school, uh, even though I was from Craftsbury and I wasn't part of a, a team that, um, you know, was affiliated with the, with the uh, school, the teams that were playing at that time. Uh, and then I would come back to Mount Mansfield with Paul uh, as college players. We'd practice against their, their team a lot uh, back when they won a state championship in 95 with Seth Champ in that group. So I knew coach Callahan, um, already going into Mount Mansfield as a student teacher and then finally a teacher. Uh, it wasn't lost on me that when I ended up being the boys coach, I was following the footsteps of basically the guy that started basketball at Mount Mansfield. You know, I remember him telling me and, and Paul Pecor telling me that, you know, when he started the Mount Mansfield youth basketball program, there were six kids. And then, you know, we'd have player um, evaluations and, uh, player workouts in the gym where there was 120 kids, uh, that, that Saturday that showed up. And so that was all from coach Callahan and what he started. Um, 
so yeah, you know, you, you, you definitely realize that you're kind of following in some big footsteps. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody knew coach Callahan and, and everybody was, he was highly respected. So it didn't, it, it didn't fall short on me that that was what was going on. Um, and so you just tried your best and, and, and knew that you had some big shoes to fill for sure. Was he available at all to you while you kind of made that move for advice? Well, yeah, because uh, my classroom and his classroom were a wall apart. All right. <laughs> so he taught history here and I teach math still, but he, he has since retired. But there were a number of times I remember to this day, he would always come in on, on the mornings if we lost the game. And, uh, you know, he'd always say every time he'd say, you're going to get a lot of people want to talk to you after you win. But, you know, I'll only come in and talk to you after you lose. And uh, it was pretty funny. He'd do that every day. We'd have a cup of coffee. Uh, and it just helped because, you know, I could bounce ideas off him, but also just he always created a perspective. And I think that's what happens when you get done coaching. I can say that now uh, you you gain a perspective that you just don't have when you're in the heat of the moment. And um, so it was good for me to hear. Uh, and 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 he was very gracious in coming in and talking about whether it was X's and O's or whether it was personnel or whether it was just poli- uh, policy or or whatever. Uh, he would always come in and talk to me about it. So um, he definitely was a, a big mentor for me. Take me kind of into your practice philosophy. As I've talked to people, the kind of the consensus is that you were a very demanding coach. Mm-hmm. And you expected a lot. Mm-hmm. And like I played for Aaron back in the early 2000s and practices were more intense than games mm-hmm. by a long shot. Yep. And me coaching in a few years ago, you, I really struggled in getting that kind of same intensity out of kids. Now, mm-hmm. what do you look at and try to accomplish out of your practices? Well, I think it's important that you, that you can acknowledge that it's not a light switch. You know, you can't expect kids to just turn it on 20 nights out of the year. Um, The first thing you have to instill is consistent expectations from day one to day 90 or however many days there are. Um, And I think that comes with really good planning. I think that comes with really good assistant coaches uh, and it comes from really understanding spe- very specifically what you want to do each night. Um, I did have the, uh, I was very fortunate to have good assistant coaches that helped me. Uh, one of the biggest adjustments I think my players and I think all players would say from maybe the JV level to the varsity level is just the number of eyes that are on them at all times. Um, and so with good assistant coaching, you can, and, and you have to use your assistants. You know, if you feel they're good enough to be your assistant, you know, they're not there just to set time on the clock and they're not there just to watch you talk. Um, you really, in my opinion, I felt like, you know, we, we worked together to make sure that there were smaller groups. There was a lot of movement. There was a lot of activity. There was very little talking. Uh, and you just sort of try to demand that, that, uh, that accountability within each player. Um, and, and I feel very fortunate to say that at Mount Mansfield, I felt like I had the support of the administration. I had support of the families, the parents, uh, and the players to understand that, you know, things aren't always going to be great. Things aren't always going to be easy. Um, and I feel like when we had practices, 
um, you know, the kids gave everything they had for that short amount of time we were in the gym. Uh, and it was sort of, in my, in my opinion, it was on me and my staff to make sure that happened every night. And that's really hard that I will say that's one thing that, that I don't miss (laughs) is after working all day and what I do teaching, working all day with kids, you know, maybe you go home, you have dinner and you come back at 7 PM at night. And now you have a two hour practice where your energy has to be on point and your expectations have to be on point. So I always say, you know, you know, I think it's important for kids to, to know that you're in that, you're all in this together. Um, they knew we worked hard as a staff. They knew we were prepared and, uh, it wasn't just sort of off the cuff. Everything was timed. Everything was, was, was very, um, you know, upbeat and movement oriented. Uh, and so I think that there was, there was never the time where they were just like, now what are we going to do? You know, and so th- those the time we were in the gym was definitely uh, instruction, uh, development. You know, that was the focus. And, um, you know, things in the game get really hard. Things in the game get very confusing. Things in the game uh, are a lot of setbacks in a 32 minute game. And, you know, we felt strongly that we needed to put those, you know, kids in those types of situations uh, every day, you know, not just 20 nights out of the year. And, um I think, again, I go back to that idea of trust. You know, your players need to know that you have their very best interests at heart. Um, Cause if not, it's superficial, you know, if, if, and, and, and they know uh, that you care if they know you care for them uh, and, and they trust you, then they will, they will rise to that level of expectation and they will, you know, uh, sift through some of the, maybe the negativity that they may see or somebody else might see in a coaching style or an accountability uh, of, of conditioning or calling a kid out for not rebounding or whatever it is. If you have that trust and you have that ultimate goal that everybody's working towards, there's a lot more wiggle room there. I think. Who were some of the assistant coaches that you really leaned on that you trusted? Well, it goes back. It's funny. I mean, it, those have changed a little bit. When I first started coaching, um, my assistant coach was uh, Jason Pecor, which was Paul Pecor's brother. He was also he also went to Mount Mansfield, played for Coach Callahan. So those early years um, in the early two thousands, when we won back to back state championships, uh, it was Jason Pecor uh, and also the owner of West Bolton Golf Club, Jeff Brown. Jeff Brown was a JV coach at for coach Callahan and he stayed on staff with me. We developed a great relationship there. So I had two, two staff members in Jason and Jeff. And then now it's, it's pretty crazy how it goes full circle. Uh, Joe Mayhew was my JV coach. So Joe Mayhew was, who's now the head coach at Colchester was my JV coach for seven years. And he was, he was a little bit younger than I was and, and, and um, just out of college. And um, you know, really wanted to, to, to continue to learn the game and was more than willing to stick around pretty much every night as a JV coach. So we would have two, three, sometimes even four, if the freshman coach would stick around coaches in a gym with 12 kids. Um, so early on, it was Jason, Joe, and Jeff. Fast forward to mid-2000s into all the way through till my end of my career, it was Jeff Springer. And Jeff Springer had um, four boys that went through Mount Mansfield, all played for me. Uh, Jeff Springer was one of those parents. You know, every program needs that parent 
uh, that puts program first. He was an AAU coach. Uh, he was always about including, including as many people as he could. Uh, he was a big believer in multiple teams at each age level for mini Metro, for instance. Um, he definitely continued to, you know, develop, um, some of the younger players that were going to be coming up through the program. Uh, so he was a really important, uh, cog, uh, when it came to the, the success we had late for sure. I'll also add, there was a time where I was a bit blinded by our success. You know, I was a young coach and I walked in in 2001 and by 2003, we won a state championship. And in 2004, we, 2003, four, then 2004, five, we repeated. And so, you know, that had really very little to do with me and had very much to do with the fact that I had eight or nine players in those two years that played college basketball. Um, so what happens then is you have no sort of perspective on building a program. And I didn't have a perspective on how important the youth uh, level was to building that program early on. And then we got to the late 2007, eight, nine years where things were a big struggle. And we, we as a program really struggled. And I liken that to the fact that we didn't do what we should have done early because I didn't have a clue. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing really in terms of running a program. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you gotta, you gotta kind of hit rock bottom to realize, Hmm, it's not just about the kids that are in high school. Now it's about the kids that are in second, third, fourth grade. If you want to do this right. And that's one thing that Aaron's done uh, at, at, at Hazen so well uh, is just develop that community program K through 12. And that's why he's, his teams are always right there at the end. I was going to say, did you then kind of develop that system where you had your guys kind of in place through all the levels and everyone's kind of learning the same thing that funnels to you? Well, in so to speak, yeah. I mean, um, we definitely, one of the big changes that, that coach Springer, I feel was a big uh, catalyst uh, for was a two teams at, at, at each age level of mini Metro. So we we turned, we had enough interest to make the, uh, we would have a good rec program for levels K through four. We do a lot of player clinics and coaching clinics. Uh, I would go down and we would do coaching clinics for parents that were interested in uh, being coaches at that level. Uh, we spent a lot of time with uh, the players on weekends doing, bringing my team in just to create that sort of continuity. You know, I wanted, you know, it's so, it's so great for my kids. They, they'd see like these, these third graders would look up to a senior and think they're, you know, it was Michael Jordan. Um, and so that sort of connection was built that way. And then um, we also had a fairly strong feeling about keeping AAU teams together uh, locally uh, which at that young age, we felt like it was really important that, you know, fifth graders stayed, stayed with a group, sixth graders stayed with a group, uh, and played, you know, even though you might be playing in a state tournament against the quote unquote select team or something of that sort, you know, having every kid play for, uh, for the same team that's going to be that same high school, we felt had a really positive effect. And then finally, the mini Metro piece, which is sort of that last, last bridge to high school important for our group because we had two middle schools. And so Sundays uh, would, would be the only time that 
uh, the players that were from Camel's Hump and Browns River could actually play together. And so we took that pretty seriously. We thought Mini Metro was a great theater. Uh, and we had a team at each age level. So a fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade team, which again created that continuity, uh, and not needing to recreate the wheel, uh, of, oh, you're an eighth grader now, but you didn't play Mini Metro last year. So, um, those are the small things I think that definitely helped. Uh, and, and, um, Coach Springer was also an AAU coach, um, and was really, all about reaching out and, and, and as many kids as possible playing the sport, even if they were playing other sports, you know, and just trying to figure out how to manage giving students, student athletes enough opportunities. So like, Hey, if you're playing soccer tonight, all right, you can't make it tonight, but we're doing the same thing Thursday night. Maybe you can come then or something like that. So it took a lot of time and energy, but I think that's really what had to happen to create that consistent um, program that I think we kind of hopefully were able to do. Which assistant or kind of who was in charge of keeping you from getting thrown out of games? Because there's not many people that Aaron texts me and says he gets on refs way more than I do. Oh, listen to Aaron. Okay. Well, I, I, I could, I could tell you that I've been on the sidelines with Aaron and I don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but you know, the thing about it, and this is, I'll, I'll be honest with you, like, yes, I have gone, I have gone over the line and I've gotten technicals that I've earned. And, 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 you know, for the most part, I think I have a pretty good relationship with a lot of officials. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a call in a game, you know, it's no different than a foul. It's no different than it's a call in a game. And, um, generally speaking, if, if, the, the official was to make a, uh, a call that I needed a technical foul. Well, there's a few things that helped. Number one is inherent to the rule. I had to sit at that time, right? You yeah. gotta have a seat. Now I will tell you that I can count on one hand, the number of seasons I got more than one technical a year. So I, I hope that people don't think that I was just getting random technicals every game I, I coach. Cause that's simply not true. Um, and I think it's also uh, important to, to say that, you know, if I was trying to get a point across, most of the officials would be like, I tee you up. Yeah, I got, I got you, coach. I got your, I got your point. And at that point, it's it. That's it. You know? So, I mean, I mean, all the assistants were, were good at talking me, yeah. cooling me off, you know, talking to me and, and, and whatever. Springer was great because Springer was his, uh, he was a much more soft spoken sort of uh, his, his personality and mine were literally 180 degrees different. And I think that was good. Uh, he was a very, definitely a calming influence. Um, I would say Jason and Jeff were a little more like me. Um, but I, I, I just, you know, the, the officials piece, they have a tough job to do. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying they don't. Um, you know, we could we can uh, disagree. And, and sometimes I probably went overboard and I got a technical. Uh, but to say that I got a lot of technicals, that's that's not true. Uh, and most of the time I had a pretty good relationship with the officials, you know, the officials that want to talk to you, explain what they saw. Um, you know, that's, those are the ones that I really enjoyed working with. I don't necessarily know if it was, um, if it was any one thing that would keep me from going too far, but I think the relationship I have with some of the refs and also their, their ability to communicate with me, uh, and talk me through their, their call and what they saw. Uh, definitely helped when it comes to uh, de-escalating things. And I think sometimes you can you can eat one to motivate your team. 
if your kids are down and they're upset that they're not getting calls and you show you stood up for them and look, I just got a tech, it can be a motivating factor. I think maybe, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've ever really bought into that. Um, you know, I, I, it's hard to say. I think sometimes that might go a little, people might have too much value in that. At the end of the day, these kids, these are still just high school kids. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that really, uh, if that really turned, I will say now that I'm, I'm, I can say this, um, it has changed the, it has changed how the, the game was officiated. I can tell you that um, there are times where a technical foul will definitely change how a game has been called up to that point. Uh, there's no denying that. I don't necessarily know if it has ever been a motivating factor for a player. Uh, and again, I mean, I don't, I don't think that getting a technical is anything you try to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've never, I've never sat down and said, okay, I'm not going to get teed up. Um, but maybe, it, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen it work that way, but it's possible. I've heard that. So who knows? Plus, I feel like, especially with guys like you with Aaron that did it for so long in one spot, you build up, like you said, kind of that in the repertoire with the officials and you get a little more leeway. I call it the Dan Gandon rule. Over time, your leash gets a little bit longer. <laughs> well, when I first started coaching, the other thing, too, is that they officiated me as a player. A lot of the guys that were and that all the way up through, I think of like Spencer Noble and Gary Lavin. And I mean, there's so many of these uh, officials that I when I was a player, they were they were calling my games as a player. Uh, and then, you know, um, so you do develop you do develop relationships uh, with them. I think I got better at at the the, the dynamic of official coach and the relationship as I got older. I think that's just sort of a sort of what happens, you know, when you're 25 years old, I mean, this is the most important night of your life. This Tuesday night at Spalding, you know, is the most important night of your life. Well, as you get older, you kind of get a little bit more perspective. And um, I think as you do coach long enough, you kind of realize that you're stuff does tend to even out. <laughs> you, you're going to get your benefit of calls that probably should have gone the other way and vice versa. Um, so that's probably where I'd leave that. A uh, few more things for yeah. we let you go. I guess then the next logical question would be, why was it time for you to step away? Well, that was pretty simple. Um, my son was going to be a ninth grader at Colchester. And I, uh, I knew I was not going to coach against Zach. Um, I knew he had an opportunity to play varsity as a freshman at Colchester. Uh, I had been coaching an AAU group of Colchester players that were his age. Uh, I started coaching that group when Zach was in fourth grade, third grade, I guess, third grade. And I had coached that AAU group all the way through until Zach was in eighth grade. I knew, I knew that there was one thing that would keep me from, because every year I, I was, I was getting to that point where it was like, you know, I kind of had one of my good friends and colleague of coaching, Mike Kennedy, you know, he, he stepped down at South Burlington shortly before I stepped down at Mount Mansfield. And I, I asked him about it and he's like, you know, I kind of felt like it was becoming a chore to go to practice. And um, I was kind of feeling that a little bit, 
Um, just because of the energy I thought that my job and my kids and my family were requiring of me. Uh, but then it was the, just the cut and dryness of Zach being a freshman at Colchester. I was not going to a miss him playing games because we would be playing on the same nights and I just did not want to, to coach against him. So that was sort of a lead up. And I knew that with coach with uh, Dave Marlow, my athletic director knew that you know, two years before I stepped down that that was going to be my last year for now. Hey, tip of the hat. That sounds like you got your priorities in order. So good on you. Or messaging with you the other day. Well, I'm actually helping out at Colchester now. So yeah. How's, how's that working out? Helping out your uh, former JV coach? Yeah, we've come full circle. So I just kind of joked. I did not retire. I just got demoted. Um, I'm uh, I'm now an assistant helping out Joe. It's been great. Like I do know most of the kids, like I said, most of the kids were on Zach's um, AAU teams, many Metro teams. Unfortunately, we have lost a few kids to other schools and, and other decisions. Um, so there's fewer of the kids that I had as a young, uh, at a, as a younger player. Uh, but it's, it, it's been good. I mean, it, it does, like you said earlier, kind of scratches your itch a little bit in terms of staying in the game it is much less stressful. Uh, you can focus on development and, you know, coach Mayhew asks me to work with the bigs. I'll work with the bigs. You know, if he asks me to run a drill, I'll run a drill, but the planning and the communication with the admin and the communication with parents and the communication with players in terms of scheduling and all that, I don't have to do that. <laughs> and so it's kind of refreshing. Um, still takes up a lot of time. You know, I'm in the gym every night. Um, but it is definitely a different role. And it's one that I've really enjoyed. Um, and so, you know, I don't know what's going to happen after Zach's now a junior. Um, and now I have a daughter that's an eighth grader. Uh, but um, for now, I'm, I'm actually really enjoying helping out. The word is that your daughter's quite the athlete as well. So I'm sure oh. you'll have some more games in your future. Where'd you hear that word from? That would be from Aaron. <laughs> she's she loves it she's she loves basketball um she's uh really into it and um she always wants to get into the gym and uh that's that's great she she's she definitely wants to improve so hopefully she can keep improving i i similarly asked this to aaron uh easier to coach your son or your daughter uh it's a good question i think you know, because I have coached my daughter for a couple of years now, and I'm actually going to be coaching her Lone Wolf AAU team this spring. Um, and I coached Zach for a number of years. It's different, you know, and it's not different because boy or girl. It's just different because of their personalities. Um, and Zach's older, you know, so Zach being three years older now versus him prior to, I think it's it's definitely a different uh, scene. Anya is uh, definitely a kid that wants to be coached hard. She wants me to, to tell her when she made a mistake and how to fix it. Uh, she's, she's very easy to coach in that regard. Uh, and Zach is too, but it is different. It's a different rollout for, for my two kids. Um, I would say I'm lucky in the fact that both of them, uh, first of all, allow me to coach them. Uh, because if any one of them said, I don't want you coaching, I wouldn't do it. Um, and also kind of see the value in, in, in what I can offer them. So um, it is definitely different, but I don't know if it's any better or worse. It just, it's, it's, 
Uh, and it could be different by way of their age, but also their position, all that stuff, who they're playing with. Um, but I don't know if there's, I can just say it's different. I don't know if it's, I know that's kind of a cop out answer, but. What was your favorite place to play in high school? Not at Craftsbury. The Barry Auditorium. I mean, that's a no brainer. Um, playing at Barry, you know, to this day, uh, we had an opportunity to play Spalding a couple times at Barry. We'd do the Christmas tournament. We'd play yep. down there. And, uh, I just love that gym. And, and, you know, it's my fun. My, my players would be like, coach, what, what's so great about this gym? And I was like, you guys just don't understand. Like, yeah. you know, um, so I would say that's, that's kind of a no brainer for me, uh, is, is playing at, at Barry in terms of, um, in terms of coaching and playing in a gym as a Mount Mansfield coach. Yep. Uh, I think it's hard to beat rice. Well, it's obviously hard to beat rice, but I'm saying it's hard to, to beat right. uh, playing in that playing atmosphere. Right. I, I, I really like that gym. Um, I've always liked it as a player when I played there, just in men's leagues and stuff, but it's just always a fun, it was always a fun game. Um, and it's a nice, it's a good old gym uh, that I just, I really like being in. How are, how are those game days and kind of afterwards for you and Paul? Is there? Well, I don't. Some- I don't want to get either one of us in too much trouble here. Um, we we had a we had a long standing agreement that you know after the thirty two minutes were up we would we would meet up after the game every game. I remember going to his championship when they beat us in two thousand fourteen. Uh, I went to his championship party that was up at um, at a restaurant in in South Burlington, um, and you know when we won championships in two thousand twelve against him, he came to where we were. Uh, and, and congratulated everybody. And on a much lower scale, just every time we played against each other, we get together after, I mean, it's important. I think, you know, we ran, we, we spent a lot of time together running camps and whatnot. And, and, um, you know, now he's a teacher at Colchester and, um, he's my my kindergartner's PE teacher. Yeah. Mr. Pecor at Forest Point PE. Um, but, um, so yeah, we, we made it a point and not just Paul, like that's the nice thing about coaching the Metro is all of the coaches get together after a lot and, and, and talk about their game. Even if they didn't play, uh, you that night, we knew where everybody was going to end up and, and talk and, and talk about the game and how it went. And that camaraderie was definitely really enjoyable. Um, after those games, uh, created a nice sort of fraternity of coaches that would share film and share ideas, um, things like that. Uh, but coach, you know, Pecor and I definitely made it a, made it a, a point to, um, meet up after we played each other just to, to, uh, create that perspective. Nothing's really original anymore. Everything's kind mm-hmm. of been done. Who are some of the coaches that when you would play, you'd see something in a game and you'd be like, man, I got to go back and watch that and take that. Oh boy. Well, there's a few things I could bring up. It's funny because every coach has their strengths and, and their, and their focus, right? Um, I can go back. I can go to how Matt Johnson at BHS used to be able to blow up ball screens better than anybody I've ever seen. You know, you would think if you just consistently doubled ball screens, the other team would know what was coming and be able to reverse the ball and get a good look on the weak side. But it got to the point where most teams would refuse to set ball screens against BHS back in the day. That's how good they were at it. Um, you know, Paul's groups, you know, always had one or two wrinkles that they would run to get a bucket. 
you know, we filmed all our games, we'd have it on video. Um, and so it wasn't just one coach. It was, it was, you know, when, when you're in the moment and you're like, man, we can't stop that. Look, we can't stop that set. You know, that same kid's getting a look. I remember coach Kennedy running a, a simple screen, the screener that I just, we weren't ready for, from Chris Magistrali, who's now a uh, official, but he must've made eight straight points on that one look. And, um, and so pretty much every game that you play, you sort of take mental note of, wow, that was a good set, or I like what they did there defensively. And then you can always go back now and look at the film and see if you can take something from it. Um, so that's the one thing about, you know, especially now with film and everything, um, you can learn a lot from your games and, and your colleagues when you're coaching uh, because they all are, are pretty good at it. Who were one or two officials that when you saw walk into the gym before the game, you were happy to see? I, I always enjoy officials that I know I can talk to and officials that I know are comfortable enough in their skin to, to talk to me. Um, you know, Tito Lavin, Gary Lavin was always a, a, an official that I knew uh, right or wrong, whatever. Uh, I knew uh, he was going to give me answers if I asked questions and he was very comfortable uh, doing that. Um, so, you know, that was a, a little bit older official that um, I guess I'll do it by error, if you will. That was one of the older officials that I really enjoyed working with um, because he made it fun. You know, he, he had a way of coming over and sort of giving you that wink and being like, yeah, that's, that may have been a call I missed or, yeah, you didn't see it like I did coach. You know, I had a lot better angle than you did. And, and, you know, but doing it in a way that was very approachable. And I just always enjoyed working with Gary. I guess I would fast forward the, uh, another official that I really have a lot of respect for. And, and an official that I think he's a fairly young official is, is again, Chris Magistrali. Uh, I say that because Chris uh, would contact me every, every time he did one of our games, he would ask me for the film every single time. And he would watch the game that he just officiated. And he had very specific calls that he wanted to see. And that struck me because I felt like just like players need to practice, coaches need to work on their craft, uh, the, his willingness to, to sit down and watch film and inevitably, in a couple of days or a day later, would send me an email with some very specific time frames for me to to look at and say, this is what I saw here. I should have done this. So I had a lot of respect for that. I knew Chris as a player. He was a very good player at South Burlington. And um, so now as an official, I just feel like he's got a great rapport with the kids uh, and he wants to work at his craft. And so I, I was very comfortable seeing him as an official uh, at our games. Three quick ones, and I'll let you go. Yeah. Give me your three best players that you coached against. Who boy. Coached against three? I got to give you three? Well, no, I usually do that because I feel like it's mean to say one, pick one. But I was hoping you'd ask me for like ten. <laughs> uh, if you can man. rattle them off, go for it. Well, I mean, I look at some of those rice teams where on one particular team they had arguably maybe four division one college players. Um, you know, you can start with Benny Shangu as one of the players that was just absolutely dynamite. My earlier years, it was no bargain 
coaching against BJ Robertson. I can tell you that, um, you know, my first year coaching, I coached against Taylor Coppenrath. Uh, he was pretty good. <laughs> um, few you know, people have heard of him. There's just so many of these good players. I mean, gosh, uh, Jerry Guillory from, from Burlington played at Southern. Um, just a fantastic player. I mean, there's, I, mean, I could keep going. There's so many good teams. And not to, and that works. And not to take away, obviously, from your own team, give a little shine mm-hmm. to how is it, you know, coaching a Matt Glass and Chad Palovich, two guys that went on to play at UVM. Yeah. I mean, Chad was, I actually coached Chad's sister, Christy Palovich, uh, when my, my first year as a girls varsity coach. Uh, and Tom Palovich, their dad, was another parent I should have probably mentioned earlier about being really involved in helping out. But Chad Palovich and his entire group was a group that Coach Jim Driscoll worked with in AAU. And they just had an amazing, amazing uh, connection to each other uh, in chemistry. Um, Chad was that that just that first kid you'd pick if you need to win a game, you know, uh, maybe not going to fill up the stat sheet as much as somebody else is pro- more prolific, but um, just, just a coach on the, on the floor. And, and as a young coach, it was, I was extremely lucky to have him because uh, he, he was a do everything. Uh, and then, you know, Matt Glass, just, I mean, his junior and senior years, especially were just nuts. I mean, he was just very difficult to stop. Ended up playing at UMass for a year played in the NIT finals um, at UMass as a six man uh, his freshman year before transferring back to UVM and then playing on TV against North Carolina in UVM. It's, it's pretty surreal to think about. Um, we had a lot of good players though. I mean, um, Tom Lacey um, played at McGill. Um, I, I, there's so many, I I've had a, a huge, I've been very blessed with some very, very good players. So it's it's hard to to say one over another, but certainly when you see a kid like Chad or or Matt and then see them play at the next level, it's pretty neat. Arguably, my favorite question, and it's probably due to my own basketball career. Uh, mm-hmm. Give me a couple of your all-time favorite team first guys, your glue yep. guys that will never wow anybody in a box score, but the team wouldn't have been the same without them. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an actually an easier one to answer because those are the kids that really stick out um, to me. You know, going back to like Tim McDonnell, who was a sophomore the year we won the championship with Chad's group and was put into a position uh, to be a starter in the playoffs when he came in off the bench in the regular season and just excelled and just, you know, the just did everything we asked him to do. Um, Troy Springer was another one of those kids, a, a point guard on the 2012 championship team that just would do everything we asked of them and more, never made mistakes, great defender, um, just, you know, and, and a great person too. just kept the kids. He was one of those uh, leaders, those silent leaders um, that that everybody loved to play with. Um, and, you know. <sighs> Kids, kids, the other side of that are like kids that maybe had a very limited role, but did everything they could when they were in there. You know, I think about like this kid, AJ Bugby. AJ Bugby was a kid that they really turned the game around for us in 2005, uh, had a very limited role, uh, but was a great defender, tough kid, and came in when we needed to do some something different in that game. 
and really change the complexion of the game, the total complexion. Um, there's others. I mean, there's so many, <laughs> there's so many uh, players that just, you just think of, but there's a few that kind of stick out in my mind. Last question. You're headed out to dinner. You can bring four coaches with you. Who do you want to sit at the table with? Are they Vermont coaches? Whoever you want. <laughs> um, well, I've had dinner with a lot of Vermont coaches already. So if I had if I had a way of doing, I could sit down with any four coaches I wanted and talk basketball. Like that's, that's I'm going to kind of pinpoint that question that way. Oh, boy. I would say Mike Krzyzewski. I would like to, I'd like to just, I'm sure. Yeah. I would just love to be able to pick his brain and talk basketball. Uh, boy, this is a tough question. I would say Roy Williams, Gino Ariyama, And I would say one more, uh, about Bobby Knight. Let's have dinner with Bobby Knight. There you go. Hear what he has to say. <laughs> Those four. Well, Coach, thank you so much for your time and your willingness to kind of jump on this in the early stages. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I really appreciate what you're doing. I mean, the more you can uh, plug Vermont basketball, I mean, what you're doing is definitely uh, all the time you're giving up. So I really appreciate it. I'm happy I was able to come on. That wraps up episode number two of No Fouls. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, everybody, that's hopped in. Like the Facebook page. No Fouls Pod. If you want to be a part of the No Fouls Podcast, you want to sponsor the podcast, you can send us an email, uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with another coach right here on No Fouls.